Welcome to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. This week we focused our discussion on Killian Jarnett's recent publication training for long and short trail running. In it, Jarnett described the training that he did in preparation for his four target races this year, including Hard Rock and UTMB, both of which he won. Before turning to Killian, we heard about Eric's final prep for the Delirium 24. The professional fields that have been announced for the New York City Marathon and George is turning his attention to the spring races onto the show. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They're invested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. 
Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three college students and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. Also beautiful wife, Melissa. Uh, I was going to say, there's lots of beauty in your in your lead in there uh, this week. The beautiful city of Raleigh, some might call it the city of Oaks, home of the city of Oaks Marathon, which Eric is most likely to run here after he's completed the Delirium 24 this weekend. <laughs> most likely not. You you left out a word there. We'll see. We'll see. Um, let's go around the horn real quick. Eric, we already talked about you getting ready to leave for Delirium 24, but I mean, now you actually really are getting ready to leave, right? Uh, it's less than 48 hours till you take off. I have most of my gear laid out um, that I need to package up. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with our friend Brett down in South Carolina on, you know, how we're going to approach it as far as logistics, not necessarily the race itself. And training wise, I am, you know, like I mentioned last week, I'm fully embedded in the Tapir. I am ready I'm ready other than one four mile run that I'm going to put in tomorrow and some rolling and stretching to uh, toe the line on Saturday. Awesome. Very good. Important question we didn't ask you last week. What shoes are you wearing? Or better question, how many different pairs of shoes are you bringing? (laughs) That is an excellent question. Uh, Most likely I'm going to bring four pairs of shoes. Uh, There is some question about the course. I believe the course was originally... uh, it was posed to me as a, you know, hard packed, basically a road um, that has, you know, hard packed dirt, sand, you know, two paths and like a grass strip down the middle. But there's a question that there might be a boggy portion to it. Um, so I'm definitely bringing some off-road shoes, specifically uh, my endorphin edges um, and and probably some of my other off-road shoes if it's really bad, like my Solomon's. So I'll bring those. So that's two. Um, and then but what I prefer, what I really want to do most of the race in, if not all of it, is my uh, new pair of uh, New Balance Fuel Cell Super Comps. Mm. Super um, Comp Trainers. Super Comp Trainers. Thank you. Um, because it's important you can't, to have all the names. Yeah. It is important to have all the names. <laughs> and th- there are a bunch there. And mostly because I've, I've been really, really impressed with that shoe. If you follow me on Strava, you've probably seen a a couple of comments about it. I've been really impressed with that shoe on the road. And if it's a hard packed surface, then right. I can, I can use that shoe. So that's, those are the two, like two primary shoes, the endorphin edge and then the super comp trainer. But then I'm also going to bring some of my other endorphins uh, just in case. So that's, that's the, that's the grouping. So we'll see. It's probably about five or six shoes, five or six pairs of shoes. Very good. Very good. We will look forward to hearing about that particular aspect of the whole thing, as well as the nutrition and the pacing and the challenges you face and the logistics and running however many laps you run around the 1.67 mile course over the course of that 24 hours. So, so yeah, very good. Good luck, buddy. Um, Michelle, what you up to? Uh, I 
just actually finished the strength workout. What? Um, <laughs> also wanted to change. You, re you read Killian Jornet's manifesto in which he says he doesn't do any strength workouts and that made you want to do a strength workout. <laughs> That's right. But I don't know if guys do this, but I have like shorts that I only wear at home. Like I wouldn't wear these outside. Is that a guy thing? Like, would you guys ever have that? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, essentially. I mean, if, they, if they're like in really bad shape or if they're like pajama yeah. bottoms or something like that. Sure. Anyway, I love these shorts. They're too big to really run outside. And I tied the drawstring so tight that I actually, like, I cannot get it undone. So I didn't shower before the podcast. So I'm debating whether I'm just going to cut them and then just throw the shorts away or somehow after the podcast, sometimes I take like a fork to them or I don't know, I'm going to have to figure it out. But uh, okay, otherwise, how, you know, very how does exciting. this tie into the fact that you did a strength workout? What? How does this tie into the fact, I, I think you're going to tell us that you tied the knot so tight and you couldn't get it undone. And so you did a strength workout in order to try and get it undone. I mean, or or really, I thought you were going to say that I never wear these shorts outside the house because they look strange. And so I did some strength workout in order to potentially cosmetically no, make changes or, or something else like that. I think the point is that I didn't swim today because I think I've talked about it, but I, I fell on a trail a few weeks ago and sprained the MCP joint in my hand and swimming hurt last week. So that's annoying because I couldn't swim, but I don't like swimming anyway. So it's fine not to swim. But then my only other option really is just to do like a strength workout if I'm going to cross train. And I did a strength workout and now I'm literally going to probably have to throw away my favorite pair of shorts. So I think the moral is like cross training just kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> that's, that's like how my morning's gone. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Very good. How uh, is this your favorite pair of shorts if it doesn't fit and you have to tie the knot so tight that you can't get it undone? That is such a good question. They are the first pair of Lululemon shorts that I ever bought. So it's nostalgic? Yeah, they're just like, yeah, I'm never giving these away. <laughs> All right. All right. You and I are so different. Uh, so <laughs> we've, we've long My ago favorite pair of shorts that. are the shorts that I wear because... I like the way they fit. Well, I just mean they're like, whatever. <clears throat> See, I'm, I'm somewhere in between the two of you. Certainly the functionality of a piece of clothing matters to me, but but I definitely will wear things because I'm nostalgic for, like my favorite race t-shirts are the are the races where I ran well, right? Um, and so, so, so that matters to me. I've been wearing the new river marathon t-shirt almost exclusively over the course of the past six months is because I have positive memories of that. I'm wishing I would have bought more clothing at the London marathon I told than I you. did <laughs> because I the race went so happen. well. And because, because, because I know that whatever I bought, regardless of what it looked like, I would actually like it. But quick question, George. Yeah. Do those things fit? So they do fit. Yeah. Okay. There. Point made. <laughs> they do fit, and they're and and they're comfortable. So so like I said, I'm in between the the, the two of you. That that something has to fit and be comfortable for me to like it. But but I also tend to definitely imbue some nostalgia into the clothing. Um, and into yeah, clothing I would say. Choices. Yeah, these shorts are like nostalgic, basically. All right. So. All right. Well, maybe not for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of a text conversation we had with michelle recently where oh she, no do not do this how many how many pairs of shorts Eric. do you have michelle because i think you would fold it 12 or 13 and then you told us there was another seven or eight in the drawer i had folded 16 <laughs> and there was another it was double digits were also in the drawer so you own close to you going on 30 pairs of shorts is that right listen your alternative is i 
keep like I had been doing for the entire year and not actually training. All right. No, I'm I'm on board with you having 30 pairs of shorts, but if anything, that speaks very highly to how awesome these shorts must be and how strong your feelings and nostalgia must be that out of all those 30, these are your favorite ones. Or yes, how- I also am trying to get rid of everything that I haven't worn in like three years. And I'm just having like a really hard time doing that. I haven't heard so that this too. is, this is a much, this is a whole other podcast. If anybody has any advice on, or wants to just come in and clean out my closet, that'd be amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, so, now, so now we're going to get a whole bunch of people sending us email about Marie Kondo. Great. Oh, well, um, that's the other problem is sometimes I think maybe I should just hire somebody to help with laundry, but I only want my stuff folded a certain way. And anytime I've ever done that in the past, they don't fold the way that I want them to. So I unfold and refold everything. And it's just very complicated. Oh my God. That is your own damn fault. I am not <laughs> that way at all. Um, not that way at all. <laughs> I, I, I am, though, I do appreciate the fact that when it comes time for me to go through and clean out shirts and stuff, I don't ever want to get rid of any of them because I, they do feel nostalgic to me. Um, it's nostalgia that keeps them in the drawer. Um, I mean, most yeah. of them do fit, but 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 they also tend to feel very nostalgic. So, yeah, I think it's the combination of being back in a training cycle and also it's colder outside. So it's more clothing. It's more laundry. And I'm just. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm out of the habit. I'm kicking my ass. <laughs> Back in a training cycle, of course, your next big race is next weekend, the Shut-In Ridge Trail Run in Asheville, North Carolina. So is yours. <laughs> which I am now signed up for. <laughs> yeah, this is new so, news to me. Um, so oh, as, you didn't uh, get the memo. You got yeah, in yesterday. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, we talked about at the tail end of the, the podcast last week that I was number six on the waiting list. I started the waiting list at number 23, um, and I had made it up to number six, and I had stalled out at number six for the last little while. And Michelle said, if any of you know somebody who is in the race, tell them it's a terrible race and tell them to drop out. And evidently that worked because yesterday, Tuesday, around the middle of the day, I received an email that said, congratulations, you've been added to the race. Click this if you want to sign up. And so I clicked it and I did sign up. Um, and so now I have an 18 mile uphill race a week from Saturday. Okay. What shoes are you wearing? So I don't know. Um, I hadn't thought nearly enough about it over the course of the last short while. My, my inclination, of course, would be to wear the Atsus, the, the Adidas Terex Speed Ultras. Um, but I was actually thinking last night as I was signing up for it that I need to read a little bit more about some, some more race reports and about the specific terrain and stuff like that. Like I know the story of it and I know what the general course is. But I, I need to do a little bit more race planning, a la Killian Jornet, who we're going to be talking about here in just a little while, who extols the virtues of planning specifically for races here. Um, while Can I, I make was a suggestion? It, what's that? Can I make a suggestion? Yes, please do. This sounds like the perfect opportunity to actually wear a pair of shoes you've never worn before that you plan <laughs> on wearing during Mountain Mist. I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking about that. So if you're referring specifically to the VJ ultras, those shoes are too small. Um, and so, uh, if you're, if you're suggesting that I purchase a different pair of shoes between now and next Saturday, I'm on board. I did not see I'm out of the loop again. (laughs) Where is this information? It's like, I don't even know you two anymore. (laughs) You guys had had a whole side conversation about the VJs. I'm so excited about this shoe and just like dies. And then I find out it doesn't fit. Yeah, okay. I was totally excited about it back in February, but everything I said, everything I read said to size up and I didn't size up and I should have sized up. 
George's VJs are too small. He wants to wear them one more time, then he's going to sell them. I don't think the Adidas are going to work for shut-in based on what I know about running in that region, because I, I can't imagine it's going to be, I feel like it's just going to be rocky and technical. And those shoes don't really protect your feet. Agreed. As I learned the hard way during Mountain Mist. So <laughs> I, I've been I've been toying with the idea of getting a pair of endorphin edges. Maybe this is the perfect opportunity to do that. So on top of that entry fee that I paid last night and the two other entry fees that I paid last night and the entry fee that Michelle just paid this morning, just immediately prior to the podcast for a relay that she and I are doing together next spring. Rag Why on. not? Just pile it on. Look at Eric. Eric is about to lose his shit. <laughs> Eric, you do know about this. So so uh, Michelle and I and friends of the podcast, Justin Dugan and friend of the podcast, Allison Mercer, are all going to be doing the uh, Ragnar Ultra Trail Relay next spring. And so that's going to be super fun. Two weeks after that, I'm going to do Strolling Jim, the 40 miler um, that I was inspired to do by Allison Mercer herself. So I will be leaning on her heavily over the course of that Ragnar Trail Relay to tell me all the details, perhaps that she left out of her race report with y'all uh, when she came on the podcast and talked about it just a, a few weeks, months ago. Um, and then I also signed up for the Austin Marathon. Um, so I have the Houston Half Marathon and then the Austin Marathon in January and February of next year. So Tokyo proved to be prohibitively expensive, at least this time around. I still have it on my uh, my my radar, but not going to be doing it just yet. Um, this felt like a uh, signing up for all this stuff last night. And then, of course, continuing into this morning felt like an important closing of the last chapter, which climaxed, of course, with the uh, with the London Marathon. I, I withdrew from the London Marathon training tips and tricks uh, Facebook group because they're all starting to talk about the next London Marathon. And I'll begin thinking about what's next here. So I'm so upset right now. I feel like this entire podcast should just be <laughs> the two of you updating me on all this stuff that <laughs> all the stuff just... that we share via text and then you don't read them. You don't text during the day. <laughs> you ignore our text block all day and then try to catch up at 9 p.m. Oh, that's because I have a job. Wait a minute. Totally I actually let's go not to get work. bogged down in details here. Job, job, blah, blah, blah. Um uh, while we're going around the horn real quick, one other thing, real quick thing I do want to mention here is that the uh, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships are this weekend, and uh, uh, we know a few people who are competing. Uh, one person who's competing is a friend of mine and a friend of Michelle, uh, who listens to the podcast fairly regularly, and that's Stephanie Cohen. And so um, she's been dealing with some injuries over the course of the past couple of months. She is a regular um, in the Wednesday and Friday virtual bike workouts that I do. And so, so I would consider her one of my training partners. Um, I feel like I know be her too, her because closely. I see her picture every um, week. What's that? Yeah. I feel yeah. like anybody I know her who too, follows me on Strava has, has is, seen is her, her picture there. Is she the one that does the workouts in the bathroom? So she does not. Okay. No, no. Okay. she does them. She does them in her unfinished basement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who works um, out in their bathroom? So uh jody sindelar worked out in her bathroom at one point and this, this really? was super early on she's not a regular these days but she 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 came to several workouts when we were first getting them going in the summer of 2020 the best part about that story is that her husband one time took a shower um <laughs> and then his reflection was in the mirror behind her um and and we all saw more of him than we intended <laughs> and i think you appropriately named the the uh Strava. And so his, his name is Doug. And so we named that, that ride naked Doug. Um, oh, 
<laughs> one, one of our uh, one of our, our our practices with those workouts is that I name them by the date, and then based on whatever conversation we have or something else like that over the course of, of the workout, I rename the workouts by by acclamation, whatever we all agree to. That's that's what I rename the workout. So this morning's workout was was named duly noted dual birthdays. Because uh, we are celebrating the birthdays of my training partner Jacqueline Nasser, who's leaving for the Marine Corps Marathon, where she will be pushing Bentley Grace Hicks this weekend. Good luck to her, and good luck to Justin Dugan, who's going to be pushing um, uh, Justin Knight in the Marine Corps Marathon as well. Um, and then it was also my training partner Lindsay Wabel's birthday today, as a matter of fact. Has Jacqueline taken over for Chris pushing? No, Bentley? no, but she's doing this race. Um, and then Chris is Chris Nasser, who who ran a world record pushing Bentley Grace um, at the Boston Marathon. Um, he is uh, doing the Houston Half Marathon, or maybe the Houston Full Marathon. We'll see. So it's a big group that's 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 rooted in those virtual workouts. That's doing the Houston Marathon and Half Marathon, which is pretty exciting. I would have appreciated the camaraderie in Houston last year. Yeah, so your timing <laughs> sucks, but okay. I'll bet. Um, friend of the podcast, Lauren Fogarty, was not enough for you. Not when you're bringing 15 people to Houston. I know it's going to be great. Um, the only problem with this is it tempts me to want to do the marathon rather than the half marathon, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm saying it here. I'm not going to do Isn't it. Isn't it two weeks before missed? So it is. And that's the reason why I'm not going to do it. All right. So speaking of, of marathons and upcoming races and that sort of thing, a race that none of us are running, but all of us are excited to watch is a New York city marathon coming up. Um, they've, uh, Announce those fields, those professional fields. What do they look like, Michelle? Okay, we are about a week and a few days away from the 2022 New York City Marathon. Um, the women have uh, our world championship winner coming right back, um, Gebra Selassie. So she's she headlines the elite field. Um, the Israeli Lona uh, Salpeter, who... I personally love watching. Um, she's coming in for New York City and Helen O'Beary um, are kind of the big international names, but they're all really fast and they all have <laughs> really fast PRs. Um, but I think we're all really looking forward to a really uh, stellar American women's field. Um, initially announced was Sarah Hall and the Bates, Alephine, Dez, Nell Rojas, Steph Bruce, also, Annie Frisbee, Dakota Linworm, Lindsay Flanagan, and Emily Durgan. Um, since then, there's been some adjustments. I know Sarah Hall's been dealing with a bit of, a, I think, IT band syndrome. And we had a late ad of Kira D'Amato. She right ran in Berlin. And she did not run what she wanted to run in Berlin. She ran her, I think, her second fastest marathon, 221. But she was hoping to lower her what was then the American record that was subsequently broken in Chicago uh, by Emily Sisson a few weeks ago. So Kira is going to turn right back around, um, come back out and run New York. And it's funny because I kind of thought she was going to do something like that after Berlin I was talking about it with another group of people. So when she made that announcement, I wasn't at all surprised, but I mean, there's so much to say about this group of American women. I, it's a good I just, group. yeah, I hope they work together. Um, I think, you know, New York is so much strategy versus speed that it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And I'm really excited to just kind of sit back and watch this. I'll have just done a big run the day before. So I plan to watch this. 
probably in bed. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the best. <laughs> um, Very good. So, and I'm always a little jealous in New York. I, I've done the lottery a few times, but it just feels like this impossible. Uh, I know there's charity spots and everything, but I, I would love to run New York. So I'm always it's really great. excited uh, to see it. And it's I actually great. have a friend running her first marathon. So I've kind of been helping her and made her like a guide uh, to her first marathon in New York specifically. So I'm really excited for her also. I don't think she listens to the podcast, but if she does, she'll know who she is. So yeah. Very cool. Very um, cool. Did you include my one big piece of advice to her? And that was that, that don't get nervous when it takes you three hours to get to the start. I quoted exactly your text in her guide, like, okay, and here's the deal. You're going to be there with a friend or you're going to be with somebody and they're going to say, we're going to miss the start. Don't worry. You're not going to miss the start. Um, yeah, I gave her all of that. And probably, uh, I tried to just give her a guide of, you know, getting from kind of home traveling to New York and then literally through like time in the athletes village up until she starts the race and then yeah. more race specific stuff is I'm going to give her that also but it's it's less important for her I think than just all of the fear um, and unknowns about running her first marathon and then little things that can you know make life in New York a little bit easier I think so yes I did tell her that is a right, cool. long answer yeah. to your question there is <laughs> there is traffic the whole way I mean it it you have to take multiple modes of transport and there's traffic the whole way and there's plenty of times when you're just not making progress towards Staten Island um, and I think everybody myself included uh, when I did it back in 2016 kind of panics a little bit and you start thinking I'm gonna miss the start I'm gonna miss the start if you leave yourself enough time then you're not gonna miss the start I had left myself four and a half hours to get there um, and I had plenty of time but after you've been in traffic for two and a half to three hours and you're just sitting on a bus in Staten Island not moving you start you're bound to be nervous. Yeah. 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 You're bound to be nervous and that's bound to happen. So, so um, yeah. Um, so just kind of know that's coming and, and, and don't waste any uh, uh, energy on it. Yeah. I will say the one thing that'll be interesting, and this could be a separate topic, but they did release the, um, you know, the qualification metrics for the world's team for the marathon for Budapest next year. So it's not nearly as enticing, obviously, as worlds uh, in Oregon on, you know, uh, American soil, so to speak. But one of the, I mean, really the main way that it's going to be a descending order of fastest time. So whereas New York is not a place that we would typically see uh, the fastest times, a lot of these women are are on the cuff. Like, I'm not sure right now. I, I have to look, but I think it's Emily Sisson, Kiera, and then maybe Sarah Hall. But somebody like Emma Bates is kind of maybe right there knocking at that door. So first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, these women have, you know, limited chances if they want to be on that world's team for Budapest mm -hmm. in the marathon to, to, you know, record a faster time. Alephine's not in the type of shape that she wants to be. Des is, seems pretty solid in her training. So it'll just be good to see all these women get back out there and go at it. Um, is this Stephanie Bruce's last race? Yeah. So this is basically her grit finale, which she's, you know, uh, spoken about and publicized throughout the whole year. This is her last marathon. Again, I don't, I would not be surprised if this goes poorly for her, if she, not that she wouldn't retire, but that she would come back one more time and try CIM. Her mm -hmm. big goal for this year was to PR in the marathon. And 
she's come close, but just hasn't done it yet. So I feel like if she had just a magical day in New York, she could probably walk away, but I wouldn't be surprised, even though this is uh, technically her last marathon, according to her. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So another American who is doing his last marathon is five-time U.S. Olympian Abdi Abdi Rahim, or Abdi Abdi Rahman, pardon me. Um, He is uh, kind of just gone on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and and now holds the U.S. Masters record for uh, for, for marathons at something like 210 or something insane. But but yeah, this is going to be his final race, his final career marathon. Um, by contrast, uh, U.S. Olympian Shadrach Kipchichir is actually making his marathon debut, and so we'll look forward to seeing that. Connor second. Mance in Chicago ran the second fastest debut ever by an American um, when he ran uh, low 208s. Um, high 207 um, is the uh, is the the American record for debuts. Um, which is from Leonard Career, um, and so we'll have to see if uh, if Shadrach Kipchichir is able to actually break that debut record. Um, the defending champion in the men's race is going to be there as well. Um, that's Albert Career. Um, Marcel Hug, uh, the defending men's wheelchair champion, is going to be there too. Um, Galen Rupp is running New York, um, and so for the first time, yeah. And so um, we'll see how that goes. Um, I would like for that to go well for him. <laughs> um, um, uh, but, but we'll see. I always kind of feel like he's, he's a little bit unpredictable and frankly, I haven't followed him all that closely over the course of the past year. So I don't really know a whole lot about his training, but, um, he is, is one of the greatest American marathoners and one of the greatest American distance runners of all time. Um, and so, so certainly he has the ability to show up and to run fast. Um, Daniel Roman Chuck, um, the, uh, multi-time Petrie road race winner, um, is a wheelchair racer, um, is, is going to be, uh, racing as well. So we'll look forward to that. There's also Evans Chabet, um, also Daniel Doe Nascimento, um, runner up last year, Muhammad El Rabi. Um, and so plenty of good, uh, folks in the men's race. Um, like you, I'm, I'm more looking forward to the women's race, <laughs> um, okay. just cause the women's race is so stacked. I mean, there's just so many yeah. people, um, particularly American women in the women's race. Um, but I think the the men's race will be fun to watch. And New York is always a super fun race to watch. Um, Eric actually wanted to talk about this. Um, and so I'll just mention real quickly that, that there's always a lot of celebrities who run the New York City Marathon as well. Um, and I know that while we're watching, you know, Galen Rupp and, and, uh, Emma Bates and, and Steph Bruce and the rest, he's going to be waiting to see how Aston Kutcher uh, and Ellie Kemper did. Um, so uh, <laughs> Aston Kutcher, of course, from that 70s show and many other things is running uh, in support of uh, his charity, which is called Thorn, which is a nonprofit dedicated to defending children from online sexual abuse. Uh, Ellie Kemper, who was on um, The Office and uh, she was in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, she is running uh, in support of the charity of the Brotherhood Sister Soul. Uh, Tiki Barber, the former New York Giants player, is actually running his eighth New York City Marathon. And then the host of Good Morning America 3, GMA 3, uh, Amy Robach and TJ Holmes are also running. Um, and evidently that's been a big thing on their show. Um, I don't watch that, but uh, but she is a runner. Amy Robach is, um, and she's actually run it before. Um, and she evidently talked TJ Holmes into doing it. So um, we will see how they do. Um, New York is the only marathon where I ever talk about the celebrities that are running because it just feels very New Yorky to me that there's always celebrities that take part. Um, so you have this super competitive marathon, you have this great race, but then there's some celebrities too, because it's New York. 
I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I told you. Um, all right. The main thing we want to talk about today here is Killian Durnett. Um, Killian Durnett, uh, about a month or so ago, uh, released a document. Um, he posted on a website that kind of read like a blog post um, in which he talked a little bit about his training. And to me, it kind of reminded me of what Niles Vanderpoel did um, back in February. And so you'll remember that on episode 206, Eric and I actually talked about Niles Vanderpoel's uh, training manifesto. Um, and as it happens, that's our most listened to episode of 2022 uh, so far by a lot. Did um, you check that before this? I did check that immediately <laughs> prior to this. Um, about 70% more people have listened to that episode than have listened to any other episode that we've done so far in 2022. Um, and Michelle wasn't a part of it. Strange. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've I've said it over and over. I'm not really. Um, <laughs> but but he uh, Killian did uh, or pardon me, uh, Niles Vanderpoel's was interesting because you'll recall his training was so off the wall um, and it caused a lot of conversations inside of endurance circles. He did a ton of cycling um, and he would do these super long threshold workouts, mostly on the trainer in cycling. Um, he would do like five days in a row where he would do these long threshold sections. And of course, anybody who knows wattages on a bike would be super impressed by the wattage he was holding because he's obviously a very strong and capable athlete. Um, he is, after all, the world record holder in the 5,000 meters and 10,000 meters in, in speed skating. Um, he only trained five days a week, you'll recall. He would take every single weekend off. Um, and he talked about how that kept him not only physically fresh, but also mentally fresh and gave him the opportunity to have a life outside of speed skating, um, that he was able to hang out with his friends and socialize and all that sort of thing, just like a so-called normal person would. Um, he combined cycling and skating into individual uh, uh, workouts, which I thought was interesting. He would do it like a brick. He would do like something really hard and then he'd put on his skates and then he'd skate. And so he'd like set up his trainer right next to the ice skating rink and do that, um, which I thought was super interesting. Um, and then one of the things that was super interesting as well is that he said he pretty much only skated at race pace or faster. Um, and so so the only time he really ever put on his skates is when he was going to, to be racing, obviously, but or when he was doing a hard workout um, that would that would involve race pace. And so the vast majority of his training was done through a bike on a bike. Um, and uh, yeah, sort of a fascinating thing there. Well, Killian Drenay kind of did something similar here, uh, put out this big thing um, about his training here um, and likewise gave it a very nondescript title. He called it Training for Long and Short Trail Running. Um, <laughs> Which sounds like a book. So know, this, is, this is how you do it. Any there's a period at the end of that training for long and short trail running, period. <laughs> this is how you do it. This is the end of it. Well, you know, at the same time, he did. He led at the very start. He said, each of us is very different. So to copy paste or to adapt this plan to you without first analyzing what your different capacities are would probably be a big mistake. And he actually came back to that over and over again uh, a few times throughout it. And so, you know, don't download this directly. But nonetheless, seeing what 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 he does um, uh, is super fascinating. Um, now, the context is that he had between last winter and then this past August. So over the course of the past eight or nine months, um, he had four big target races and he considered two of those races to be so-called short races. 
Now, they're short in the world of ultra and trail running. Uh, one of them was a marathon in Spain that had 8,300 feet of climbing. Uh, so it was about a three and a half hour race, which most of us would not really consider to be short. But um, uh, and then the other one uh, was called Sierra Zenal, um, which is a 31K, so just short of 20 miles. Um, that had 7,200 feet of climbing in it as well. Um, and then two of those races were long. He had the Hard Rock 100, which was in July, and UTMB, which was in late August. Um, and they were set up in a way that he actually did a short race, a long race, a short race, and a long race. And so he basically said that, that I couldn't dedicate myself entirely to training solely for the short races, the short races, um, uh, or dedicate myself entirely to training for the long races that I had to, to, to work on training for these things essentially all at the same time. Um, and so, so yeah, um, one last thing I'll say about it, and then I'm interested to hear what some of y'all's big takeaways are in addition to sharing some of my takeaways, um, is that he does, in addition to saying at the outset that, that what works for him might not work for everybody, he also gives a disclaimer that he comes back to several times over the course of, of the uh, document um, that some people have called the golden rule of, of endurance training and basically saying that consistency matters more than any one particular workout. He says, quote, in my opinion, there's no such a think as a magical session that will make you better or a training program that will work for everyone. But the adaptions and therefore improvement of performance comes from the repetition of training stimulus consistency and the individualization of those stimulus to see what are those stimuli and their intensity that work for each of us at each time of our program and our career and what is the recover needed. Um, and so again, it's, it's day in, day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, that ultimately is going to be most important rather than just sort of one big thing. And by the way, you probably also noticed in there, there was a few things that he said slightly wrong, um, like a think rather than a thing and a recover rather than a recovery. Um, Again, he would he he wrote a far better document in English than I would write in Spanish. So you know, I'm not going to beat up on him there for that. Yeah, and it just adds more credence to what you're reading. Like you can actually hear him saying, <laughs> "Talk to me." Yeah. So, so, so uh, you, you, you know, I, it wasn't written by uh, by 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 a PR person, right? So before we go any further, because we're going to say his name again and again and again, let's just figure out how to say his name. It's Killian Jornet. Is it Jornet, not Jornet? It's not. It's actually more like a Jornet. No, oh, okay. So, got it, got George? It. Totally cool. So anyway, <laughs> but you asked about, you know, takeaways. I, so I think this is a, just a phenomenal um, article with so many nuggets in it that we could actually spend a couple of podcasts on it. But I think one of the things that I got out of this was, and maybe we all already know this, but if you want to train or sorry, if you want to perform at the level that he performs at, you're not going to get there because he literally adjusted his entire life. He and his wife adjusted their entire life to the point of how they're going to care for their kids and, you know, do meals and stuff around him competing in these four events. And so not only is he like some phenomenal specimen, his planning and execution here, you know, and I'm sure it didn't work out exactly how it's laid out here, but I'm, I'm sure it's close enough is beyond anything that mere mortals like us could do. But it does um, lead to the, uh, the concept of you have to be intentional to get as much out of it, out of yourself and your time and your resources as you can. 
So, I mean, the detailed nature at which he put this document together, and I don't know if he did it while he was doing this or if he did it all post facto, but it just tells you how detailed you need to be to perform at the best you can. Does that make sense? It, it, it does, but I only halfway agree with you. Okay. Um, um, and, and the half that I agree with you on is that, yeah, they made some sacrifices, particularly for him to go to these various races in different places. You know, you had UTMB, which is in France. You had Hard Rock, which is in Colorado. Um, uh, you know, you had these various ones that were in Spain. He lives in Norway. Um, he trained. He used a few races for training. And so, yeah, I think they, they clearly made some, some compromises there. But one of the big takeaways um, and one of the things he talks about right at the outset was that when their second child was born, he basically had to switch from from doing more duration on his runs to doing more frequency um, that he started running twice a day far more often rather than doing one big run a day. Um, and besides his races, he only did a couple of runs. He said there were more than four hours long. And so so. To me, he didn't build his life around his training. If anything, it was the opposite. And that was one of the big takeaways for me is that that when his life presented him a challenge that, that forced a change in his training, he modified his training to match. So the my my point was that's what he did. He had to be that detailed. I'm not saying all he did was train. I'm saying he took the time he had and he maximized it. And but, then he, he took what he was trying to accomplish and he built a plan that maximized his ability to do that. And to the not from a time perspective or a mileage perspective, am I saying that mere mortals like us can't achieve this? I'm saying that if we want to to wring ourselves out as much as we can, we have to apply that same level of detail and adjustment of the plan that he does. And I don't think I don't. And I don't know many others that do uh, can actually do that. Okay, what the heck? I don't. <clears throat> that's the part that I disagree with because I couldn't have made this comparison before George ran London and we had his London recap. But George just did a similar thing in his preparation for his marathon PR. He was, you know, solo parenting a lot of the time, and he took a bunch of longer runs and basically split up a ten mile run into two five mile runs instead of one longer run, because that's what works best for him and his schedule and his kids. So I think you have very real world, uh, us mortals, <laughs> examples of doing some of the exact things that, you know, Killian made the shift to do for similar circumstances. Now, George is never going to, you know, be Killian, but hey, if you eat... <laughs> <laughs> What is what is George's what is George's contact in my phone look like, Michelle? What what is George's contact? Do I, I pin really, him okay. in the mere mortal category? I was talking about you and I. I I, I no. will put myself in the mere mortal category. No, and, and no, so, you are so, freak, so, you are a freak of nature. So well, no, but I but I I do think that particularly as my coaching roster has gotten smaller over the course of the past six months, that has freed me up to be better able to focus on myself. Um, um, and, and believe me, I have been, um, but, but yeah, in terms of what he describes and, and I think you're totally right. You know, one of my big takeaways is he talks about how purposeful he is. The only time he ever actually used bold type in the entire thing is he said, um, 
when when I do every workout, I'm thinking at why am I doing this workout? What is the goal? Right. Um, and and so I do think that he was extremely purposeful in a way that that some of us might not have had the chance to do. But I mean, when I was coaching more, that was the main reason why people were, were hiring me to coach was to, to get that more purposeful training. And, and I do feel like in my life, I probably have devoted too much time, frankly, to, to trying to be purposeful with training and trying to, to, to make sure that I'm covering all the bases and, and, and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's I, interesting. I, I do think it's possible, but go ahead. My, my takeaway from the piece was, was kind of almost the opposite of Eric's. Like overall, it was, it was more simple than I ever imagined somebody who, I thought races, that too. who races at the level that he races at. I mean, if you look at just this year, you look at, you know, uh, course record on like the shortest course and another unbelievable, you know, performance on like a longer, like UTMB at the longer mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. he's killing it on both ends of, of the spectrum. And I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's like this genetic outlier. I mean, I think there's a lot about it that, uh, his training is, is very tangible. I mean, I think he spends almost 60% of his time in what he considers, you know, zone one, and maybe he obviously has access to, more trails and more technical stuff. But for the most part, I thought that not that his approach is, is simple, but I, I thought the training is, you know, it's more simple than you would think. It's not this perfectly calculated training program with one workout and one long run per week. And he only doubles on these days. It's like, man, he just did whatever he could, whenever he could. And most of it at a pretty relaxed effort um, in order to just build a massive base. Yeah, I was, you know, one, one thing that I wrote when I was writing my reflections is I, I put his workouts weren't earth shattering. Right, um, exactly. And and I, and I think that that's one thing that differentiates this document from what Niles Vanderpoel did. Um, because Niles okay. Vanderpoel was really like outside the box, was like paradigm shifting, right? Um, and and even like the numbers that that he shared it's like, holy crap, what an athlete. Like, this is amazing what he's doing here and, and, and what he's able to stack up and the fatigue that he carries from Wednesday to Thursday. And so that, whereas, whereas the stuff that Killian did, I mean, he talks about some of the things he did. He says he, he did a lot of tempo stuff, two by five kilometers, 10 K at tempo, 10 by one kilometer. I mean, that's, you know, you hear about some of these massive workouts that, that, that athletes will do sometimes that is not that. None of that. Yeah. You no, know, um, he couldn't. If I think of like the way that the NAS athlete runners train, he could not be more opposite. And I understand <laughs> one is for like a road marathon and the other is for, you know, an ultra runner, but he's never out there. He's never doing 24 by 400. You know, he's never reaching that max. But that, that would, I would never tell an ultra runner to do 24 by 400. I'm just saying that whatever he said, that he effort, said he does, he does repeats of 400 or less. He says he does them literally like four times a year. Yeah. Um, he does but whatever that effort is. Like four times a year. But so for, for right. virtually all the workouts he does is tempo stuff and easy running. Yeah. yeah. And whatever that effort equates to for not an ultra runner, he's almost never doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I, I can, and, and I can totally understand y'all's both of y'all's points counterpoints to what i said i I, and and no no i mean i don't think they're a right or wrong view of it i just when i look at this i i felt like 
it'd be really difficult to coach somebody like this because you just have to know too much about them or, or more than well, lucky uh, for him, he doesn't have a coach. He's right. He's saying, coach I mean, himself, this is, you know, this is like why George. neither this is why neither Killian nor George has a coach. Right. <laughs> and I, the the amount of self knowledge, and he talks about this again and again and he again. Does. The amount of self knowledge, and not not just I don't think it's just physical. I think it's mental. Mm-hmm. You know, is astronomical for him. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this with. Um, who is it we talked about that did the video last week? Um, Tim Tolson. Tim Tolson, where you have to really master the mind, right? And in order to be able to do this, and I think he's he's obviously done that for the level he's at. But then you see here he's kind of mastered the body, like he he understands. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't think everybody's the same, and like this race the, the stimuli they need, and that's that's what coaches help with, and that's what he's doing for him mm-hmm. um, to be at their best. But I think he really, he's really figured himself out to a I level that allows that. this to be accomplished. I will say his his approach and Nils's approach both have influenced me. You know, you've you guys Strava stalk me for this run up to the delirium. I completely changed how I how I train, and I'm I probably did seventy five percent of my runs at maybe zone two. Mm-hmm. You know, most running in zone one, I don't know how he, his zone one is insane. That's, I don't fix a lot of time in zone one. That's a lot of time in zone one. Those must be pretty technical trails. Well, he's doing nine (laughs) minute, he's doing seven to nine minute miles on technical trails. And he's like, oh, zone one run, you know, but to to the, I think zone one, zone two, but he's definitely influenced me. They both have, Hmm. because I realized that especially rolling into a 24 hour race, it's not about how fast you can go. It's actually not about the efficiency of your your fast running either. It's about base, you know, it's about how many capillaries you can build. It's about how efficient your your heart and your lungs are. So yeah, he he also he applies his self-knowledge, I thought, in some interesting ways too, when it comes to some of the small stuff. He talks about nutrition, he talks about sleep, he talks about recovery. And then one of the interesting things he talks about, he talks about balancing life stress, he talks about visualization, race planning, all those sorts of things. Then he also talks about how he's an introvert. Um, and, and being an introvert, he knows that he's going to be drained by a lot of the stuff that goes on around races. Um, that having to be around other people is, is going to be difficult for him. And so he ends up doing 80 to 85% of his training by himself. Um, and so he kind of recognizes that that's a thing. And he says that, you know, every now and then he'll go running with his wife or go running with somebody else. But if he's going to be at his best, um, as a dad and as a person, um, he has to, he has to spend some of that time by himself inside of his own head. Um, particularly leading up to big races where he's forced to interact with other people. I thought, you know, so you talk about self-knowledge. I think that's a very interesting piece of self-knowledge for sure. I think there's another aspect of that too. Nobody can keep up with them, but that's, yeah. that's just my thought. So maybe, maybe let's talk about a couple of the other things he mentions here. Um, so one of the things he says, Michelle, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this is about altitude. And so he says he grew up at altitude, right? And he lived at altitude for a long time, but then he recently moved to Norway where he lives at 19 meters above sea level. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, and is not living in altitude anymore and is not training at altitude really. Um, but then he goes out to like hard rock, which is at, at altitude, right? Um, sure. And he has to, to, to 
race at some of these high altitude races. Um, and he actually goes so far as to say that I don't think it actually matters. Um, he says, I haven't noticed a difference between when I lived high and raced low or lived high and raced high. And now when I live low and race high, what do you think? You know, I have a few friends that grew up in Colorado. They've been in Atlanta for years, but they don't really struggle when they go home uh, running. They don't struggle with the altitude adjustment. Um, I go, I land in Denver, it's about 5,000 feet and I already have a migraine and I'm already breathing heavily. And by the time I get up to about 8,000 feet where I spend most of my time out there, I'm barely running. So I don't understand how somebody uh, can just go out there, you know, once a year and be fine. And I don't know enough about, you know, the science behind it, but I really do think that if you're born at altitude and you're raised at altitude, your body just, that's some type of lifelong benefit. Yeah. And, or when you go back to altitude, you don't have nearly as difficult of an adjustment uh, breathing and performing there. Mm-hmm. I would also say, you know, I, I think to, you're, I agree with you on that. And they say the same thing about heat, by the way, too, right? If yeah. you grow up in a hot climate, that even though you may lose some of your acclimation or acclimatization, if you live in a cold climate for a while, you can get it back quickly, that, yeah. that, that, that it changes you in a permanent way. I would also say two other things. One is uh, you, all, you, George, are always saying, um, you know, heat, humidity, altitude, like fitness is the priority. Right. Like you, you can, if you have the best fitness that can, that can overcome, you know, the deterrence of a difficult weather or a different elevation setting, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I mean, Killian is always maxing out his fitness. Right. So it could be that, I mean, the combination of having lived at altitude for so many years and his fitness being where it is, it does Mm -hmm. not surprise me. Uh, that he can go wherever and and run the best of the best wherever mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the third thing I would say kind of points back to what I didn't really like when Eric said it about, <laughs> you know, they moved because that's what their life with two kids necessitated. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, what was best for them um, as a, you know, as a couple and as a family unit and for their kids. So he just found a way to adapt his training where even though he's no longer at altitude, like this is, what's best for, you know, the rest of his person and the people that he loves. And, you know, it works for him. Um, I don't, I think most of us are, you know, trying to figure out how to get to altitude. Mm -hmm. I don't know many people running away from it, but, you know, sometimes it just, I mean, we could talk about Emily Sisson again, but she made a move um, up to Flagstaff, a permanent move. And it really did not work for her uh, as she was building up to Chicago. And some of that is, she struggles at altitude a little bit. That was the goal of kind of moving up there, but also she was recovering from COVID. And, you know, she went back and she lived in Providence, Rhode Island mm-hmm. for her build up to run, you know, the American record in the women's marathon. And I think it's pretty safe to say she didn't need to be training at altitude to run that time. Yeah. So who knows? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think I think you're totally right. I think the Emily Sisson points an interesting point too, because she moves back to Providence. That's where her coach lives, right? Um, that's where she went to college, and and I think there's just so many different factors. Do you yep. know what I mean? That 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 contribute to your performance. 
and and your physiology, even like one one thread of your physiology, which would be altitude, that's only like one of like myriad factors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think about right now how my my training, like right now in my life, for a variety of reasons that we'll discuss maybe in our year end podcast uh, in in a couple of months. Um, but right now in my life, I'm so into being with my people. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. my like like just just having my yeah. people around me and and I would consider you one of those people. I consider Eric one of those people. And and I don't want to spend time with anybody who's not my people. Um, and and that's a big part of of what's making me happy and is filling up my bucket right now. If you want to use that metaphor that's so commonly used, right? And sure. so when I'm making race decisions, that's how I'm making races. That I want to go do things that that my family can do. Like so, I mentioned you know, I, I switched out of Tokyo. I switched out of Tokyo because my family couldn't go with me if I decided to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if we are, and, and and if I went, we wouldn't have any enough money for all the other cool stuff in our life between now and then, and even after that, right? Right. Um, and and to me, it's far more important that I get to spend time with my people than it is that I get to get another star in the Abbott World Marathon majors. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I um, mean. And maybe, maybe I'm taking this tangent way too far here, but you know. I think no, I mean, I think all of the other pieces are in place for him. And if that means living at sea level, I cannot imagine, like, I don't even think he thinks about it that much. I think he probably, um, honestly, I think it's only part of that because he's, he just wants to answer the question that everybody keeps asking him, you know, how do you keep performing like this? You don't even train at altitude anymore. Yeah. And he's like, it doesn't matter. There's all these other things that matter. And I've got those figured out. So, right. you know, it's fine. Right. For sure. But yeah. All right. So one other thing I want to get your, your, your thought on. And then one other point I want to make about it is that he actually used, particularly as the season wore on, he actually ended up using a lot of races as training. Um, he ran like a half marathon and he ran all these various other things. And he said, I knew going into them, that I was probably going to be a little bit tired and they probably weren't going to be my absolute best performances, but I went ahead and did anyway. Sometimes he said I would use them as race simulations or as testing events. And I wanted to see like what I could do. And so then I would rest a little bit more for those in order to get a better indication of exactly where my fitness was. Um, but these races, he would use as training races and carry all this fatigue into them, just like he would carry a lot of fatigue uh, oftentimes into workouts as well and would underperform. I know that that's something that I, I generally tend to be okay with that. Like, I underperformed in this workout because I'm super fatigued and I just know that that I'm I'm still getting a benefit from it. Whereas I know you struggle more with that, right? Yeah, I am a big fan of racing into fitness. Mm -hmm. I do not do well when I'm I think it works. I believe in it for <laughs> you know, I think for him specifically, it was great this year because I've never seen the ultra running community more confused about where his actual fitness was. <laughs> it's, I've never seen more people doubt, you know, he goes and runs this half marathon or some steep marathon and everyone's like, oh, maybe he's done. And, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like far from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, that it's tough for me. Um, I've never, I've never done that well, even though I know, you know, on paper um, and physiologically it works well. And all these times I've wanted to, you know, maybe run a half marathon is a quote unquote supported long run. Mm -hmm. When I went out there, if I did it, like I remember one year, I think 
I did Athens before a goal race or something. And it wasn't, it was like five minutes off a of PR and I was devastated, but that was mm -hmm. so stupid. What a waste of my emotional energy because I was, you know, coming off of a 60 mile week and no taper and I'm not supposed right. to be running. But uh, yeah, I think for him, he did that a lot this year. And I think it really played to his favor. If anything, I mean, either he's like laughing at everybody, you know, trying <laughs> to speculate about where his fitness is. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of that also is it took a lot of pressure off of him. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were other people who, you know, stole the spotlight for a little bit. Yeah. But then when he goes out there and, you know, by the time he dominates, everybody talks like, oh, yeah, of course he won. But it's yeah. like, but you doubted him. Like, you didn't think he was going to do well because no, of I some other performance. <laughs> I, I, I went on to the websites of the two short races he did in order to like get the details about them, like how, how long they were and stuff like that. And like on the front page of the Sierras and all, uh, the, the race in early August, he ran, that was 31 kilometers. There's a picture of some other dude and they're like, what a historic great race. <laughs> and like, he didn't win, you know? Um, and I was like, I was like, he, clearly he was okay with win. that because, you know, he, he ended up setting a course record at UTMB like three weeks later you know? Yep. <laughs> um, and, and obviously that was the bigger thing. You know, it's funny. I say that I'm okay with it. I'm okay with doing workouts that are fatigued and like having people see that on Strava and all that sort of thing. I I've gotten to a place where I cannot do a race as a workout. Um, I can't bring fatigue into a race and do like a, or like do a marathon, a half marathon as a fast finished long run or something else like that. I can't do that anymore because somebody will beat me by 30 seconds. And I'm like, Ooh, I would have beaten that person. <laughs> I can't. And, and, I've, and in fact, I've resolved not to do it anymore. I just can't do it. He is. He is clearly a stronger person than I. Yeah. yeah I hated that every time you made me do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and, and I probably quit asking you to do it after about 2018 like run or so for the first 10 miles, yeah. watch everybody pass you yeah. and their mothers pass you and yeah. their children pass you and then run marathon pace the last three miles. And it's just like, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'd rather just do the workout. I think <laughs> I agree. I would too. Um, you know, your name is forever in those results with that particular <laughs> time getting beaten by those people. Um, and, and yeah, I, I can't do it in races anymore. I kind of feel like I've learned my lesson with that one. Um, honestly, but... I hope he does that again. I hope <laughs> he goes out in 2020. Just cause you like the way it messes with everybody. <laughs> yeah. And just signs up for everything. <laughs> um, it awesome. just does it his way and yeah. then comes out uh it'll be interesting to see where he goes next year i mean he's like what is it where is he supposed to go he's uh, I don't got know. the you, hard you, rock he's got yeah. the western states he's got the utmb right. like yeah i i love i would love to know what keeps him motivated yeah i don't know that's not here right no nope. um, <laughs> i mean or, or or it could be it could be like this this just sort of continual pursuit is what keeps him motivated you know could be that that, that just the next thing and keeping it going and, and keep, you know, maybe, or maybe he, what, what kept him going this year was, you know, screwing with everybody. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, maybe next year, fun. like you said, maybe he's going to sign up for like literally a race a week or something like that. But, but yeah, you know, you, you talk about somebody who has done a wide variety of things that has not always followed the the traditional playbook. And, and I think he is, he is definitely that guy, but then yet he's also had a great deal of success in the traditional playbook. Um, um, at least as far as events go, you know, I mean, I, I said that his training, I think is very straightforward. Um, yeah. but, but he, he tends to find events and finds combinations of events that are not the sort of thing that most people do. Yeah. Nope. <laughs>
Um, I imagine he's getting ready to, to switch over here to schemo over the course of the next month or so. Um, he did yeah, say he that, that most of his base building or what, what most of us would consider to be base building, uh, he does through schemo. Um, yeah, he doesn't and, run much, what, maybe yeah, now December, like March? December to March, yeah. yeah. He said that, that he was going out and doing two to four hours on the skis in Norway there uh, between December and March. And then he would come back in the evening and do 40 minutes to an hour on the treadmill. Um, and so he was still doing some running there, but the vast majority of his uh, aerobic development, at least in the first part of the year, uh, was 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 on skis. Um, the last thing I'll say about it, and then I want to hear uh, your last thoughts on it here, is that if you want to do any of these races, uh, these four races that he did, um, or that he makes the focus of this particular thing, that's the Zagama Marathon in Spain, the Sierras and all in early August there, um, the Hard Rock in July, the UTMB in late August. Um, this, I think, kind of serves as a race report for all of those things. He talks about his nutrition. He talks about his gear. He talks about his equipment. Um, this is as close as you're going to get, I think, to a race report from a professional athlete, such of the type that that uh, you tend to see on, on blogs of amateur athletes. Um, just talking everybody through the races and the challenge he faced along the way and how he dealt with it and and all the different things he did to, to prepare and execute his plan. Um, I, I like that. I thought that was cool. So yeah. in the event that I ever run Hard Rock or UTMB or one of the so-called short races, um, I will definitely come back to this and, and, and take yeah. a look. You know, I thought, I mean, on a similar note, and, and David Roach really kind of hones in on this, but it's like, it's kind of unprecedented in the history of endurance sports to have the guy at the very top of his game giving you a manifesto of mm -hmm. every detail you could imagine about how he lives, how he trains, how he races, how he fuels. Um, so, you know, an athlete at the peak of probably their athletic prowess and achievements, just diving in and putting that much time into it. I, like, I like this guy a lot more now, even yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> like, I love, I love that we have this, um, yeah, whatever. And there's something cool. that I think anybody can take from it, even mm -hmm. if you're never going to step foot uh, on a trail. It's, it's really just fabulous. So I agree. I agree. Tell me this. Why do you think that he wrote this? Oh man. I honestly, I think he wrote it for himself. Um, I felt like when I was reading it, language barrier aside, uh, it felt like he was journaling in a way mm -hmm. there were parts of it that were just really unrefined. You know, if it was meant to be like a training guide or a how-to manual, I think it would have been um, just more categorized, you know, more systematic. And it really wasn't. It was just mm -hmm. him kind of getting in there, writing down, well, this is what the living situation is, and this is what I need to do, and this is the type of workout I want to feel, and this is the amount of time I want to be on my feet per week. And it felt like just like a personal manifesto of sorts, yeah. uh, maybe – you know, I can see like you raise your children and they don't really understand <laughs> like, why is my dad? So, you know, what, why did he do this or what did he do that made him so great? And you could go back and read it and just having that close relationship, you know, I think, yeah, it just reads more like journaling to me. I think he did it for mm -hmm. himself. I don't know you. I mean, well, I, I think that's a, that's a good theory. I'm, I'm definitely the guy who writes like really, really, really long things in his training peaks training log, you know? Um, and so I understand the utility of recording all of your thoughts, 
you yeah. know, and, and, and writing them down while they're fresh in your mind, even if they're not totally polished, even if they're not fully formed, but just kind of getting it on paper so that you can refer back to it. I mean, I go back and I look at what I wrote for major races that I did on a regular basis. I just go back and read what I wrote. And sometimes it's really long, you know, sure. um, and it's not out of vanity or narcissism. It's because I, I'm trying to think back on what worked for me and, and what my head was like and is the way that I'm remembering it now, does that actually align with what actually happened or am I suffering from selective recall? Um, yeah. And so so I, I, I think that that very well could be it. I mean, I think there's there's a couple of potential other possibilities. One, it could be that he's trying to do what Niles Vanderpoel did um, or at least he saw that Niles Vanderpoel had that huge splash with his training document that came out in February. And this is like an attempt to build his personal brand, right? That he's hoping maybe I can make the same splash in endurance sports that the greatest long course speed skater made. Um, and people consider me a great trail runner. And so the look what I do. Um, I don't, I don't know whether he's all that concerned with his personal brand. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but he just literally left a very long time sponsor started mm -hmm. his own company, okay. created his own apparel, his own shoe. Okay. So I, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think that this was to build a personal brand, but I, I would stop short of saying, I don't know that he's that concerned with his mm -hmm. own personal brand. And it, like, and it could check he literally all has a brand. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not a personal brand anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and it could check check both of those boxes by all means. The, the other thing I'm wondering too, um, and and I don't think this was his primary motivation, but maybe it was in his head, is that it's just such an incredible flex because people in the endurance community sometimes like to keep their training kind of secret. Like I have right. these secrets and I train this way and that's what makes me better. And I'm not going to share my secrets with other people and him just being like, I'm so much better than all y'all that I'm just going to put out there exactly what I did. And I dare you to try it and beat me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, I think, you know, like I said before, it seems a little kind of unprecedented kind of in the history of endurance sports for like an athlete at the peak of their you know, careers to divulge it all. But mm -hmm. even with what he writes, it is still pretty mysterious, right? Like mm -hmm. if you think about teams like Nazalie that record everything on final surge, you can go in, you can look at their run, you can look at their splits. I mean, you could mirror their training exactly. Mm -hmm. This guy wrote us a few thousand words and there's no mm -hmm. way that you could not go out there and be like, oh, I'm going to do what he did the way yeah. that he did it. It's there's like, no times. It's, it yeah. still leaves the mystery to yeah. it. So yeah, he but, shared that Koros data that, that talked about his zones and that sort of thing. But like Niles Vanderpool's document, he said, I did exactly this workout. These are my my targets. It was this much of FTP. And this is what the actual wattage was and things like that. Yeah. And uh, and and he left that out. I think that's even e either because that's just not the sort of thing that he records and pays attention to. Or it might be because he's falling back on being a little bit more secretive. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, and again, I think it could check all these boxes. I think it could be all these yeah. things. Um, there's no reason why it has to be one or the other. Maybe um, we could ask him. <laughs> <laughs> You're the expert at getting people on the podcast. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a limit to, to my expertise here. I could try. <laughs> you don't think you could get one of the greatest ultra runners of all time to come on. I think you should try. Um, maybe, maybe warm up by actually reaching out to Courtney DeWalter and then, uh, and then reach out to, to, uh, Killian Jornet 
Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So final thought, Michelle, and I would get the final thought from Eric, but alas, he had to dip out for a meeting. So um, Eric's final thought will be, I'm doing the Delirium 24 this weekend and I'm going to crush it. So go get him, Eric. Michelle, what's your final thought? Uh, I think my final thought is going to be to support Eric and his efforts <laughs> at the Delirium 24. There I hope he has a good race. I think he's made uh, some, you know, really conscious changes in his training to kind of hopefully go out there and uh, have a good run and, and feel good about a good run. So mm -hmm. good luck, Eric. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I agree with you. I think that Eric has, um, I think he's approached this one very soberly, not only in terms of his training, but also in terms of his uh, race execution, his plan. Um, and so I think he's, I think he's going to be smart. Um, yeah. and I think that when it comes to ultra running, that's pretty critical component, particularly in something like a 24 hour race. Um, so, so I'm excited for him. I hope um, uh, all the 5.15 a.m. workouts are worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Thanks, Michelle. All right, talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thanks, Eric, wherever you are. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.